This Sunday we continue our uh, summer study of the Minor Prophets. And our passage today is from the prophet Amos. This is chapter 5, 6 to 15 and 21 to 24. Uh, before we read this, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Good and gracious Father, the giver of all good things, Lord, we thank you that you have also given us your holy word in these pages of Scripture. And Father, as we approach them, Lord, we realize that this is your voice spoken down through the ages and given to us here today to guide us and to instruct us. And Father, we know we cannot understand these things unless the Spirit inspired them, inspires us today. So, Father, we pray that you breathe your Holy Spirit upon us, upon our hearts, our minds, and souls, that we may hear, that we may read, and that we may understand. Bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the prophet Amos, chapter 5, 6 to 15, and 21 to 24. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the sky into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink of their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live and so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate that it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters. And righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, 1776. Right, big year, wasn't it? Important year, 1776. Of course, I'm talking about 
the publication and release of Edward Gibbons, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Right? That's what all of us think about when we hear the word 1776. No, I know. I kind of tricked you. We all think of the American Revolution. But that same year in England, a historian by the name of Edward Gibbon published the first volume of his huge historical work, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. And when I say big, it's big. It's three real giant thick volumes. And it's not just for history buffs. It's for the, the history buffs of the history buffs. I mean, you've got to really love history if you're going to try to read Edward Gibbon's work. But I will give you the Cliff Notes version, if you like. Real quick compilation of what Edward Gibbon said. He studied, and he wanted to know why this great empire of Rome one day fell and crumbled to dust and existed no more. And in his analysis, the reason for the fall of the Roman Empire was simple. It was the Christians. The Christians are the ones that brought down the mighty Roman Empire. In Edward Gibbon's analysis, he presented Rome as this great enlightened place, that, this culture that created beautiful things and brought peace to the land and just wonderful gifts wherever they went. And then these Christians rose up. And these Christians started talking about all their otherworldly desires, that it's not this life that matters, it's the next life where we get our blessings. And people forgot their civic duties. And as they forgot their civic duties, Rome crumbled. And Rome, as it was founded, was a, was a great military power. They were a fierce, warlike people. And they went out and conquered everywhere they went. And then the Christians came, a bunch of pacifists, and they lost their war-like nature, and the empire crumbled. Well, as you can imagine, there was a lot of controversy about Edward Gibbon writing this, especially in 1776 when England was still, by and large, a Christian nation. But what Edward Gibbon did was he started this interesting conversation about not only why did Rome fall, but why does any civilization fall? I mean, most civilizations, when they rise up, are, are fairly powerful, sometimes the biggest guy on the block. But why do they eventually fall? And everyone, so far, except the ones today, have fallen. Now, as a student of history, I am intensely fascinated with this question. Not just why did Rome fall, but why do civilizations fall in general? But Rome usually attracts the interest of historians because of the many parallels that we see between Rome and the United States. And if we're similar in so many ways and Rome fell, well, that also might mean that America can and will fall for the same reasons. Now, I think there's a better study for determining why nations fall. And there's a better nation out there to study, especially looking at America and, and determining whether or not we will follow the same course. And that's not Rome, but Israel. And now it's not because I think America is the new Israel and we're destined to be just like them and we are especially chosen by God above all other nations. I'm not arguing for or against any of that, but that, that's just not why I believe that Israel is a good study for why nations rise and fall. And Israel is a good study for perhaps what might be the future of America. What makes Israel such an interesting study 
is that we are told why they fell. We are told beforehand, before they fell, why exactly they would fall. Now, to give you a little context, when I'm talking about Israel, at the time of the prophet Amos, the prophet we read from today, uh, Israel was actually split into two different kingdoms, and Israel was the kingdom of the north. Now, it used to be one kingdom in the days of Saul, David, and Solomon. But as soon after King Solomon died, there was a rebellion, and the nation split into two. There was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And the prophet Amos, when he came, he was speaking to Israel in the north, but he was speaking to both because they were both God's people. They were both God's nations, and they both, funny enough, had the exact same problems. And when Amos came, he not only told Israel that they would fall, he told them exactly why they would. So here we have the prophet Amos. He's, he's sent to Israel, and he's warning them of this imminent fall that's going to happen, and he gives them the exact reasons why they're going to fall. And what's great about Amos is he was one of the writing prophets. So he didn't just tell everybody that they were going to fall and why. He wrote it down. The Spirit of God led him to write these down so this prophecy was passed on. It was recorded and it was preserved in Scripture so that we can read it today. And as God's Word endures and as God's Word is true throughout all generations, it is never wrong and it's never failed. The same warning that was given to Israel about how and why they would fall is a warning that we can heed today. And how we might face the same fate. Perhaps more importantly, it also reveals to us the true strength and the true power behind a nation and behind a people. Now to put this in context, I'm going to have to go back to when God first established Israel. When God first put Israel together, when, this is back in the book of Deuteronomy, after they had escaped from Egypt, and God was establishing Israel and setting up their rules and laws, His commands were very simple. And He gave them this simple cause and effect relationship. He said, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. Okay, if you want to be blessed, obey me and obey the things that I do. If you don't do them, you're not going to be blessed. And even worse, if you go do the opposite of what I say, you're going to be cursed. It's very simple. Obey me and be blessed. Disobey me and you're going to be cursed. And when he said obey, the, the commands were, were very simple there too. And they come down to just three basic things God wanted from his people. First of all, worship me. Don't worship any other God. Just worship me as your God, number one. Number two, preserve and execute justice. Be a just nation. That means the same law for everybody. No matter who you are, everyone has the same law. And protect the rights of every individual citizen from rich to poor, everyone alike, foreigner, um, native, whoever it is. That was the justice. So worship only God. Preserve justice and act as righteous people. Act as righteous people. That's things like do not steal, do not murder, do not commit adultery. Remain holy unto your God. And God said, do this and you'll be blessed. Do this and you'll prosper. And do this and you will last as long as the earth is around. No one will be able to hurt you. No one will be able to take you down. But if you don't do this, 
and do the things I've told you not to do, you will be cursed. If you do things like follow after other gods and pervert justice and, and make the law work only for the rich and powerful, follow after the lust and the sinful desires of your heart, then your country will not be blessed. So when God says a prophet Amos to Israel, the complaint is well, it's pretty much the same. Amos is making the exact same point that God warned him about way back in Deuteronomy. Amos warns, he says, you're leading sinful lives. This is what he says um, in Amos 2.4. He says, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord. They have not kept his statutes. They have been led astray by the same lies after which their ancestors walked. So I will send a fire on Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and push the afflicted out of the way. Father and son go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned and lay themselves down beside every altar and garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink wine bought with fines they imposed. In other words, they're leading sinful lives, they're perverting justice, they're worshiping other gods. Now some of you might remember, this sounds a lot like a sermon I preached two weeks ago. It sounds much like this, uh, the message that God sent to Israel to the prophet Micah. And if you think it's the same, you're right, it is the same message. God had to give it to Micah and they didn't listen. And so he sent it through Amos and they didn't listen. He also sent this message through Isaiah and to Jeremiah and to Habakkuk and to Nahum and to Ezekiel and to almost every prophet that he sent to Israel. It's essentially the same message. You've lost your righteousness. You're going after other gods. You're not preserving justice in the nation. When he said it to Micah, he said it like this. He said, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with thy God? When he told Amos, he said it a little bit differently, but the same message. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. See, things had gotten pretty bad in Israel. It had gotten so bad in Israel that God actually began to hate their worship. The Israelites, his own people coming into church, and God hated them being in church. This is what he said today. He said, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your gongs to the melodies of your harps. I will not listen to them. How was it that, how did it come about that God actually hated it when his people worshiped him? It's because of their hypocrisy. Their worship was all hypocrisy. Because here was God's people coming into the temple, having the feasts and the assemblies and singing the songs and worshiping God like they were supposed to. But then the rest of the week they were out trampling the poor, terrorizing the weak. Involved with adultery and prostitutes, cheating, stealing, fighting, getting involved in drunken debauchery, corruption. 
and they were even going to the altars of other gods. And they were sacrificing to Baal and to Astarte and to, and to Marduk and to Moloch. And all the gods that they were told to chase out of their land. They were doing these awful, these immoral, unrighteous, unjust things. And then had the audacity, had the audacity to walk into the temple of God and ask for his blessing. God's answer is, I hate your feast. I hate these things. Your worship is no good to me. You want my blessing? Go live as my people. Now, we're good Protestants, right? And we like to remind ourselves and each other all the time that grace is undeserved and grace is unearned. And that's absolutely right. The grace, the blessing, and the, the grace and forgiveness of God is completely unearned. It's unmerited on our behalf. And there's even the blessing that God gives us that's completely and totally unearned and undeserved. But there is a large portion of God's blessing. And I don't want to use the word that's earned because it makes it sound like we deserve it. But there is a large part of God's blessing that is conditional. That is God's blessing, a conditional blessing. You do this in order to get blessed. And if you don't do this, you don't receive the blessing. He said this in the book of Deuteronomy. He told his people, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses, choose life. He gave them the choice. You want to be blessed? Then choose it. If you want life, then choose it. Sounds like a no-brainer. Life or death? Yeah, I'll pick life. Blessings or curses? That's kind of easy too. God working for you or God working against you? Easy choice to make every time. But it requires something of us. Worship God and only God. Live lives of righteousness. Be just. Be fair. Be kind. Be gentle. Be charitable. Be good neighbors to each other. And there is a blessing for those who do these things. There is a blessing for the nation that does these things. Now I want to step back for a minute and clarify something because a lot of times we confuse the word blessing with wealth. And as Americans, we talk about God's blessing. We hear the little uh, cash register, ching, ching. Oh yeah, I'm going to be rich now. This is what I have to do for, for financial peace and prosperity. I do these things, and then God is going to make me rich. Wealth is a part of a blessing, but that's really not God's blessing to us. There is a prosperity that comes from God's blessing, but it's a prosperity where we have the things we need, not to make us just crazy rich like, like, uh, like Elon Musk or, or Jeff Bezos. That's not what God talks about when he talks about blessing us. Wealth can be a blessing. But it's not always. There are many, many, many rich people out there who hate their life. They're very wealthy, but they're not blessed. There's a lot of famous people out there that are miserable. They're very famous, but they're not blessed. They're 
hordes of powerful people in this world that are also haunted people. Because even though they're very powerful, they're not blessed. There's people we know, people we see that seem to be lucky, seem to be born under a good star. Nothing but good things happen to them. They might be the loneliest people you know. They might seem lucky, but they're not blessed. That's not what the blessing of God means. The blessing of God doesn't even mean that nothing bad's ever going to happen to you in your life. See, the blessings of God are not those of this world. The true blessings of God are, are blessings that money can't buy and power can't acquire, no matter how much of either one that you have. They're only things that God can give us. And they're so much more valuable than the things of this world. The kinds of blessing that God gives us are like peace. That's something you can't buy. The kinds of blessing God gives us are like the blessings of joy, the blessing of having a heart that can give and receive love. God even gives us the blessing of His glory. That he gives and touch into the hearts and the lives of those who believe and trust in him. And we might not fully recognize and see it as the blessing for what it is, but you know who does see it? The unrighteous. The unrighteous can see the blessing of God on you and they will hate you for it. They will hate you and they will despise you for this thing that they can't even fully articulate. But they could feel it. Because even if they're richer than you, even if they're more powerful than you, even if they're in, in a, a seemingly better positions than you, they know that you have something that they don't. And they have, you have something that all their money and all their influence and all their fame cannot buy and will never be able to buy. You have the blessing of God. There's another aspect to God's blessing. Those who are blessed by God also are those who endure. And the blessing that he gives us will last and last and last. Through all the hard times, through all the troubles, through all the griefs, all the turmoil, the blessed by God will remain and all others will fall away. I saw a documentary this week about a guy named Joe Francis. He was the founder of a set of DVDs called Girls Gone Wild. As I watched that documentary, I mean, it was such a cautionary tale. And I was so many illustrations. I'm like, man, I could use a lot of this stuff. And not a good example as the example of what you don't want to do. You'll probably hear me talk about him again. But the point I want to make to you today is this Joe Francis he became so rich and so powerful and so famous just almost overnight. I mean, he had millions of dollars. He had famous people flocking to him. He was, he was like the talk of the town. He was, seemed to be the envy of the American dream. Looked like he had everything. In a few years, he lost it all. I mean, it was one of those catastrophic, meteoric falls from grace. It all fell apart and a matter of a few months. Today he's living as a fugitive in Mexico. He can't return to the United States because he'll be arrested the moment he steps upon American soil. Even his wife and kids are hiding from him. I want nothing to do with this man. 
See, the blessings of God might not be near as flashy as the blessings of this world. But His blessings remain. His blessings will last. When the selfish, the greedy, the godless, the self-serving, and the corrupt have fallen, the blessed of our God remain. And look, the blessed of the God are going to experience the same kind of hard times that everybody experiences. The difference with us is after the storm, we're still standing. And even in the storm, we remain hopeful and faithful, believing and trusting. That's true for people, and it's true for nations as well. Tomorrow, we're going to celebrate the birth of America. And I got to tell you, this is a great country. And we are so blessed to live here. We are so blessed to be a part of this nation today. And I know we're not perfect. I know we got our flaws, but we also have a whole lot to celebrate. And we can't forget that. But as we celebrate this week, we would do well to remember that our strength, any greatness we might possess, our success, none of these things come from our government. They don't come from having the right party in place. They don't come from having the right justices in the Supreme Court. They don't even come from having the right politicians in office. They don't even come from our great military and a robust economy. Any strength that America possesses, any greatness that we might have, comes only from the blessing of God. And if we would do well as a nation, if we would do well as a people, it would only be by that same blessing of God. And as the prophet told Amos, I'm sorry, as God told the prophet Amos, if you want your nation to be blessed, then let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have hard times. We'll get plenty of those. There will be wars and natural disasters. There'll be plagues and recessions and depressions and times of lawlessness, times of chaos, times of division, and times of uncertainty. The blessings of God will not shield us from difficulties that happen in life. But if we seek God, if we hold fast to the ideals that he has given us, the ideals of justice and mercy and righteousness, if we are committed to his principles, the principles of equality for everyone under the law, of charity for the poor, of protection for the weak, and respect for all of God's children, if we do these things and remember our God and honor him as the only one God, and when the dust settles from every disaster and from every trouble that afflicts the world, then we will remain as the blessed people of our God. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.